0: Live. Okay. Oh. No. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I'll write it and we'll do it live. She cried to the southern wind that Hello, hello. And Welcome to Open Wide for Some Soccer. My, my name is Seth Bertelme. Alongside me tonight, Pablo Mauer, Thomas... F- where's Thomas? Where... Where's Thomas.
1: Thomas Floyd, uh, I'm hoping you guys follow him on Twitter. Thomas Floyd is uh, globetrotting with his family. Uh, and he's been dutifully documenting every step of that journey. Thomas has a habit of uh, taking uh, well, first of all there's something you should know about Thomas Floyd. So he only has one, he's only capable of making one expression <laughs> which is uh, just a ear-to-ear smile, sort of. Um, he has a habit of uh, taking a photo of himself in front of Every landmark that he goes to. And, I mean, when I say landmark, it could be, you know, the Rochester Rhinos Stadium. I don't know. You know.
0: Thomas Thomas has the mindset of a reporter, I think. And he dutifully reports every step of his journey, whether it's to the Eiffel Tower or to the Rochester Rhinos Stadium. Uh, so, it's just me and Pablo tonight. Uh,
1: I'm gonna. We're, by the way, I'm gonna tweet out real quick uh, what I just said about Thomas only having one expression. We we explored this in length last year, and uh, made a helpful in- infographic that I actually just uh, tweeted out. So yeah, I'll take a look at that. So we
0: were thinking that we were gonna have Charlie Bohm join us as co-host, and there is still a good possibility that's still going to happen. However, we haven't been able to get a hold of him. We're assuming that it has something to do with his kid.
1: Could actually, actually, speaking of the devil, uh, I'm told that uh, Charles Bone is joining us right now. Although I still don't see him. Oh, X? Yeah. So let's just keep looking around for them. Trust me,
0: you guys did not want to hear what it was going to be like with just me and Pablo. Uh, Trevor just compared it to when... Wayne was hosting or just Garth was hosting Wayne's World by himself
1: It's not going to be like that anymore uh, Charles Charlie Boom, uh Writer for SoccerWire.com Editor for MLSSoccer.com uh, All around good guy Father uh, Owner of uh, Teal uh, Toyota Corolla that he likes to call Wheels of Teal uh, Charles how you doing?
2: I'm doing
1: great, Pablo. It's great to be here. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's just weird without Thomas, I'll tell you what.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to find out tonight just how much Thomas means to our show.
1: (laughs) Thomas is obviously the brains behind the operation. I just play Ben Olsen clips and swear a lot, and then Uh, you just sort of
0: move things along. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I have to say, I do feel a lot better now that Charlie's with us. I think a show with just you and me, Pablo,
2: would go downhill after about five minutes.
1: Charlie knows a lot about soccer as opposed to either one. That's true. So,
2: well, look, I mean, I, I figured with no Thomas, there's been no research or preparation for the show, right? And that was my assumption.
1: Zero percent. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. Been
2: a, there's been a lot
0: less than normal. Let's just put it that way.
1: Uh, Thomas yeah. Thomas will say things like, oh, we should talk about this you know statistical anomaly or something like that whereas uh Seth and I are just say things like oh let's talk about how Frank Lampard's old or something you know very right. basic uh, visceral ideas yeah
0: we're like DC United has lost a bunch of games recently but we're not really sure why yeah like
1: that's
0: we a, can uh, we can at least uh, point out that they haven't been winning but we need Thomas to point out why that's happening
1: let's uh mm-hmm. let's talk about that real quick uh what's what the let's Let's just start this off by telling you about what the hell is wrong with D.C. United.
0: Well, first of all, it's been about six weeks, I think, since we've done a show. So it's <laughs> it's possible that the last time that we talked about D.C. United, they were on, on, a top, of, game win streak. on top of the East. Everything was going great. Uh, yeah. And then I went to Europe, and then I came back, and then Thomas went to Europe, documented every step of the way. Still is in Europe. And uh, here we are a few weeks later, and it's been just pretty much a, a nosedive. Uh, we've got four losses in five games. The only non-loss was a draw against Colorado. And all of a sudden, DC United's gone from being sitting, sitting on top of the, the Eastern conference to barely holding on in terms of uh, having a chance to get a buy in the playoffs, looking more and more likely to be in that wild card game.
1: I'm, uh, I'm hesitant, but I'm really eager to ask Ben Olsen the question, are you worried about missing the playoffs? Uh, <laughs> I don't know how well that'll go. Uh, uh, Chuck, what's your, what's your take on, on what's changed over the past five games for D.C. United? It,
2: it's really tempting to say that the, the law of averages sort of caught up with them and that the mean, you know, um, they've regressed to the mean a little bit. I think Ben Olsen and, and Dave Casper, to a lesser extent, were sort of making um, wine out of water for the last year and a half or so. And may, maybe we're seeing the sample size catch up to them a little bit in terms of the um, teams figure them out a little bit. The lack of depth um, gets exposed when you have suspensions and injuries like they've had. I mean, I think Fabiana Spindola's, um just constant suspensions and injuries and, and um, whatnot are really hurting them as well. And and then things can snowball on you pretty quick. Uh, as uh, 2013, these United viewers will recall, um, it can, uh, life comes at you fast. And I wonder if maybe there's a little bit of a psychological issue here as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think that, the law of averages thing is a, is a good point because even the games that DC United was winning, some of them, they didn't necessarily play well. They would get down early and have these miraculous comebacks over and over again. And, and you just knew that that wasn't a sustainable way to continue to win games. Overall, I thought there was some good stuff.
1: <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you... Actually, we were talking about this before the show. If you go back even further, I mean, you... You know, if you just take a look at their schedule, I mean, they were on a three, you know, like I said, they had a they ran off three wins in a row two months ago. But then you look at those performances. You had the game against Montreal where they became the first team in league history to win with a single shot, outshot 26-1. to one. You had the 10-goal shootout, you know, with RSL where they very easily could have lost that game. They, you know, let four in. And then uh, the third game, what was that? The Philly game where they gave up two goals in under four minutes and probably should have lost as well. So I mean, honestly, I, I don't even know how recent this slide in form is. I think it's just one of those things where they've been getting away with it, and, and maybe they're not so much anymore.
0: Yeah, you can. I mean, and you can go back even further than that. You know, they have uh, their last win before that three-game win streak was in June at Chicago, who's been the worst team in MLS. Uh, they won. <laughs> they won against New England at home, which was. You know, maybe their last really, truly impressive result, uh, considering how New England's been able to turn things around. But, you know, you go back a couple losses, and now you're in May. So, I mean, realistically, this is a team that got off to a really good start. You know, they won seven out of their first ten games or something like that, and things were going great. And then ever since then, it's been a little bit of regression of the mean. And then in the last few weeks, it's all kind of nosedived.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I sort of think also it's worth mentioning how bad they've been against big-name players all year. And it's strange it's not talked about very much, but, you know, um, I guess you can't fault them entirely for, uh, for you know, struggling against Jovinko. But he had what, what I would probably – I mean, it may have been his best performance of the year, um, his two-goal performance against D.C. at RFK. You know, uh David Villa, draw by last week, you know, puts two by them. Uh, Kamara scored against them the week before. Fabian Castillo, like all these. It's like every big-name player has scored against this team.
0: It's almost like the big-name players are better than the other players.
1: I don't know. I, I don't know, Seth. I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, this is where we need Thomas. Thomas's input, you know. <laughs>
2: Well, can we uh, I would I would contend there's one thing that that this slump can't be blamed on um, and agree or disagree with me here, guys. Cucked Champions League has hardly been a distraction for this team. There's hardly been any senior, you know, uh, core roster members um, from the starting 11 who are really taking part in it regularly or, or constantly. They've had a really easy group. Um, it just doesn't seem like that's a factor, which is what we're used to seeing from teams that have to juggle those multiple competitions at this point in the year. Yeah, that's a good point. We
0: were talking about that before. and, and No not,
2: Open
1: Cup either.
0: Not only that, right. They, they were eliminated pretty early from the Open Cup. So fixture congestion has not been an issue for this team. And actually the most success they've had has been with the B team in, in the CONCACAF Champions League over the last couple months.
1: Yeah. Um, it's something that I've sort of noticed and – I think maybe it speaks volumes about the way this roster is constructed that, you know, that this has become a big deal. But I think they sort of badly miss Dave Yarneau. Um, you know, not necessarily tactically or in the way, you know, in his, in his gameplay. But just uh, I look at the 11 that they've been putting out the past few weeks and they badly miss that sort of nasty attitude that Arnaud brings. You know, I mean, I think uh, if I had to pick one adjective, you know, to describe their performances over the past five, six games, it'd be flat. You know, they just half them. Look, they like they don't care. Or, you know, they're just outclassed. And I think uh, I think Arno kind of brings that fire and veteran sort of you know win at all costs mentality that they're sort of missing these days.
0: And I think we've seen with Arnaud the psychological battles that he wages with the other team center <laughs> mid, center midfield. I mean, he comes out almost every game and gets in a real hard foul in the first five or ten minutes. And he's like, you know what, I'm just going to take this foul because I want my opponents to know that they're going to be in for a tough night when which, they play against me. And I think over the course of the game, it ends up being effective. And- which,
1: which, by the way, is something that they, you know, and again, when I talk about big-name players. I don't know if anybody knows, against Drogba, nobody even touched him until the first, probably within the first 30 seconds of the second half, Burnbaum. You know, I, I want to say it was the elbow in the back of the head. It was some sort of cheap foul. And it's funny because it remind me of, um, you know, the there was actually the, the away, you know, D.C. played away at TFC. And they actually contained Jovinko. And they did that with a sort of hack-and-ant mentality. And I talked to that same player that game. And he said, yeah, we wanted to come out immediately and let him know we were there. Mm-hmm. You know, so something tells me that Benny got... And their ear at halftime, like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? You're yeah. letting this guy do whatever he wants. Like, let him, you know, and get also, stuck
0: in. Also, you know, after like, after Birnbaum, uh, got stuck in a little bit to oh drug, but drama just completely bulldozed him.
1: Yeah. Not to mention, he made him look like a ayso player on the, you know, on the second goal of the match.
2: Well, Pablo, I've heard you speak of the the way designated players are treated here. There's certainly a strong sense among fans that whose teams have played Montreal since Drogba arrived, that he's getting special treatment or he's uh, he's getting a lax hand and he's he's uh, sort of testing his limits in MLS and with referees and ha- has yet to find them. Perhaps um, he scored what turned out to be you know a decisive goal against Chicago last week. I think it was by effectively. Putting Jeff Lorenowitz in a full Nelson and uh, and throwing him to the ground and, and scoring on a header, um, and I wonder if um, if that those kind of ideas start to creep into DC United's head when things don't go well. I mean, they were shredded by Villa and Pirlo at Yankee Stadium uh, several weeks ago, um, and I, I just I think I wonder if there's uh, I don't really know what's going on in those situations because I don't think that one or two players should make all the difference against a team as experienced as United, but it certainly certainly seems like they're playing uphill at those moments.
0: Yeah, and and without Arnaud, I think the the, the general feeling was that United would still be okay because they have Marcus Halsty, who they brought in the offseason. He's a full-finish international. And yet, after a, a promising start to his United career, I mean, he looked good early in the season. I think he's really tailed off over the last few games and, and was pretty bad against Montreal, and that was... Uh, it was a great example of that when he played a 50-yard through ball backwards to D.J. Drogba for that second goal.
1: Beautiful ball. Pure loesque esque yeah. um, You know, uh, Marcus, though, might be sort of a a victim of something you hear. A lot of guys, uh, Chris Rolfe, just talked about this a few weeks ago, saying, you know, hey, it's insane to say this after 29 or 30 games. I'm paraphrasing her, obviously, but, um, uh, you know, we're still building chemistry after 30 games. And I think that's obviously crazy. And you look at somebody like Halsey came in and was pretty much the, you know, he was the guy that was going to partner with Perry in central midfield. And he was the guy that was going to replace Davy, who was getting a little older. And, uh, and that really never happened, you know, and the only minutes he's seen with the first team, honestly, I've either been, uh, you know, filling in at center back or when Davy's hurt, you know, obviously davy has been out with a concussion for four or five weeks now. So he's getting minutes. But, you know, sometimes I wonder about Halsey, whether he's just sort of, you know, still finding his place with the team. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I don't you know, it's it, when a player like that comes to this league, usually they get at least a, a little bit of a benefit of doubt because of their experience and their their pedigree that that they have to be on the field. But it didn't ever he, he was like an afterthought almost. But, and I know most a lot of that was a, a month or a couple months worth of injuries r- right at the start of the season. But there was never this sense that they had to work him in the mix, this urgency from Olsen. You know, and, and I look at a team like Montreal, and I wonder, um, you know, with a, obviously a, a great player leading the way, but um, the chemistry looks fine there with, uh, with a pretty new guy up top. you know. So I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, even, I, even... I would have liked to see Halstead get more opportunities to, um, to learn about the league and the team on the field, not on the training ground or in the film room, but on the field, Playing, finding his rhythm, finding the team's rhythm.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, you talk about Montreal. I mean, they're they're on a they're obviously on a great run of form. I think unbeaten in five, and they've done they've done it largely without uh, Piotti You know, so I mean, that's a team that. But I mean, I think we talked about this before the show. I mean, there's there's a distinct difference between, you know, what Montreal was able to do mid season and what DC was able to do mid season.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're talking about DC United, I think you have to put this in context of them being the lowest paid team in the league. There's not much of a budget. We, we've got a call.
1: We do. <laughs> all right, three hundred one. You're on Open Wide for some soccer. Uh, how can we help you?
2: Hey, it's Amir from Maryland Suburbia.
1: Amir Suburbia, what's going on?
2: Um, right, I wanted to make a. I don't know if it's causation or correlation, but. I've seen – noticed that DC United season really tanked shortly after Sabarillo arrived. I, mean, we
1: had, <laughs> I think like, we found our
2: scapegoat. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh
1: you know, it's – not to interrupt you, but it's It's funny because uh, we talked about this before the show. I think he showed kind of well for a game or two, and then he's, he's really been awful the past few games. Um, yeah, his
2: first game was the Philly game when all the bad starts started happening.
1: Yeah, so. I mean, are you <laughs> saying that you blame Alvaro Sabrillo for all of this? Yes. <laughs> hot take. All right, so do hot we Hot take's coming in hot. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah.
2: Uh, Here's, I have a follow-up question. Uh, was that a good trade with a few weeks of hindsight now? Was that a good trade to, to trade off the oft-injured oft but potentially decisive creativity of, uh, of Luis Silva for uh, Sabrillo?
1: Uh, I didn't like it when it happened, but I I think having covered the team for years, obviously, sort of almost rolled your eyes every time Luis got hurt. But, you know, in retrospect, and I mean, he very quickly got injured at RSL, you know, um, but I I don't know. Seth, thoughts? Good trade, bad trade.
0: Yeah, I think at the time it made sense. Uh, Sabrillo was the kind of player that United needed. They needed a number nine to hold up the ball. Even when his spindle is healthy, he's not that guy. He drifts wide a lot of the time. Uh, so He's th- also
1: a big guy in the box, which they didn't have. You and, I mean? and,
0: you know, I, I think that he's been a little streaky. You know, when he first started with United, he, he was scoring some goals. But I think what you've seen from Sabarillo is It's that, been the knock on
1: him his entire career almost, though, isn't he? yeah, he's streaky? And I you think know? you've
0: seen the, the tendency to miss
1: some easy chances
0: and to make some big mistakes that decide games like the giveaway against nycfc so i, I think that overall it, it hasn't been a terrible trade but i think you would definitely want to see some goals coming up in the the next few games as the season winds down
1: so Amira, i just want to make sure we covered your points here you want to see him put on a bus to richmond immediately <laughs>
0: um uh sorry I, I think in all serious though the Three players I am looking at that have severely underperformed this season are
2: Perry Kitchen, Boswell, and Birnbaum.
1: Yeah, you just... I, I can't disagree with you on either and of those Pontius. Fronts.
2: You could throw Pontius in there, but he's been injured.
1: Pontius will throw in the underperformed for several years category. It pains me to say that, but... You yeah. Know. And, and Nick a... DeLeon, too. I mean, there are a lot of guys who just...
0: I think we're at the point with, with Pontius and DeLeon where they just kind of are what they are. But I think that... In comparison, especially with last year, those three guys that you mentioned uh kitchen birnbaum and, and Boswell have been at levels. who'd have thought below Steve, Steve Burnbaum,
1: who started this year with a national team call up and a, and a very good national team played well with performance. The national team
0: and Klinsman singled him out for praise after the January that's what camp. it was
1: the curse. It was the, curse it was the Klinsman curse I have a lot of positive things to say about Steven, and now he will never be good again i
0: mean in in classic Jurgen fashion, he did play. Burn bomb a little out of position, right? Yeah. He was playing it left back or right back, but yeah.
1: Amir, uh, we appreciate the call. Cheers, guys. See you, man.
0: Thanks. Uh, let's. I want to get back to just a, a point I was making before the call, which is that you know, and uh, it, when you look at the big picture with this team, their budget problems have to be mentioned. I mean, they just don't have the money, and they won't have the money to sign marquee guys until the new stadium. So, Nobody wants to hear that. Well, Ben, I actually think you would want to hear that because it's more of a no. It's 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 more no. of a, more of a credit to you, Ben, for the coaching job that you've been able to do to put together a, a team of relatively low-paid players and, and get some results at least for oh, Thank you. for most of the season. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, when they when they played Montreal this weekend, it was a good contrast because Montreal is a team that has the ability to say, you know what, we want to add a big name striker at midseason, and they have the financial means to do so and bring in Drogba. And looks what, look what has happened. And DC United just can't do that.
1: Charlie, are you uh, are you surprised at all by how quickly Drogba has sort of, I don't want to say taken the lead by the league by storm, but uh, certainly he's he's fit right in comfortably.
2: Yeah, I mean, I said the other day on Twitter, it looks like he could play anywhere, any position, any team. Do what he wants, help his team win. I mean, I, I knew he, you know, obviously he's 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 a legend. He's got a huge, um, you know, track record of of scoring, of holding up play, you know, doing all the things a number nine does at a very very high level, um, and yet it's. I mean, I think he could play goalkeeper. I think he could probably play center back and be an upgrade for a lot of teams in this league. It's just amazing, and I don't know where where the the you know world class uh, ability and athleticism and or just the soccer brain where where the one starts and the other ends in terms of his his effectiveness. And I think the IQ is a big part of it, just because he's he's so smart. He's he's able to come to grips with a a whole new set of of variables around him so quickly. Um, but, you know, he's the kind of player, again, I, I think you have to give teams credit when they not only spend, but spend wisely. Um, his his wages, which I think Brian Strauss uh, wrote the news on what he seems to be getting paid, are, are not astronomical relative to those guys in the Bronx. Um, but he's sort of been like the capstone for Montreal, who were um sort of limping along with uh Dom Oduro as their you know lone striker in that 4231 a lot of chance creation not a lot of uh finishing in coming out in that situation so in a sense i mean he's he's a, the perfect piece for them uh on and off the field um and and we haven't even talked about the the sort of electrifying effect he's had on the fans they've gone from being um you know a, a team that struggles to sell out home matches to to having just like Drogba mania sort of take over at their their matches. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think, I think even it.
1: league-wide, I mean, those games now, the Montreal games for me are must-watch games.
2: Yeah,
0: that's you know. it's an interesting point, too, because I believe it was either right before the season started or at the beginning of the season, you had the impact owner, Joey Saputo, openly questioning whether Montreal was a good market for soccer because the fan attendance just hadn't really been there in the, in the last few years.
1: It's almost like fans want to come out and see a world-class soccer player i don't know somebody should pass uh, DC know, Pablo, i think I you're onto something there yeah uh
2: but it, uh, the other thing is I, I don't you know you could i don't know how the numbers are going to break down here but i would guess drogba is will uh, will quickly pay for himself um if they keep you know packing the house much less what they do in terms of uh, success on the field i mean it's uh, at some point it's just sort of like when everybody marvels at the the astronomical transfer fee that uh Real Madrid paid for Cristiano Ronaldo and then, you know, less than a year later they come out and say, yeah, he paid for himself within X number of months or X number of jersey sales because it's a, a big player you know, being delivered to a very uh, hungry fan base and uh, that which makes me sort of question United's approach here. I totally get um, their need to cut costs and, and the the sort of crippling anchor around the ankle that RFK Stadium rent, rental is, but... <laughs> If if a team like Montreal can find one guy, you know, drop two mil or thereabouts, you know, give or take, and, and make the money back relatively quickly, well, then maybe you know, maybe there's more to it than meets the eye here in DC, where um, they seem to have conceded that no amount of success, no amount of star power, is going to overcome their challenges, and I, I do wonder about that.
1: Who who I'm just going to put you on the spot. Who 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 is the ideal player who fits that bill as far as I think the uh, general consensus has always been a Central American player. Um, I joked to Thomas in the press box the other day. I said that they should sign designated player Andy Nahar um, next year. But <laughs> who do you who do you think is who do you think fits the bill for you know a, a DP that DC could get for under you know a million bucks or a million and a half bucks? Who would actually uh, give them a bump at the gate?
2: Yeah, I really don't know. I, I would have to say it's someone that is recognizable, who, whose who's recognition transcends any one group. Um, you know, we have um, you know Europe leaning um, uh, Anglo fans here. You know, you have a big international population from all over the place. You have a large Latin American, um, you know, particularly Peruvian, Bolivian, and, and Salvadoran fans. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I guess you could. Yeah, I would love to see what someone like Dragva would have would have done here because he's not only not only appeals to niche groups, but he also has a, a wider appeal. I think uh, there's a very very educated fan base here, and and uh, I, I, it's tough. It's tough to, to guess at who, at who would make you know who had that kind of uh, money would work. Um, but you take a flyer at someone who's coming uh, coming off of a relatively visible. Role in 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 somewhere like I think Spain or or England or Italy.
1: Yeah, I mean certainly the 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 draws there. You saw what David Beckham, you know, packed an extra, you know, between ten and thirty thousand people into that stadium every time he played there. You know, so
0: so so what you're saying is that Facundo Correa was not <laughs> that guy that you're describing. I know they
1: expected Michael Farfan. To get them, this huge
2: packed the gates. Yeah, yeah.
1: but uh, all right, let's go to the uh, let's go to the phones again. Four oh four. You're on open wide for some soccer. How can we help you? Hi guys. How's it going, man?
2: Hey, not much. Um, you guys, don't mind if I talk national team?
1: No, let's, by all means, let's do yeah. it. I
0: guess there's a big game coming up.
1: As long as you uh, don't ask us if Jurgen Klinsman has a place for the national team. <laughs>
0: Because going
1: to have a future with the US men's national
0: team. Oh, oh man. man! Well, a- ask us that in about eleven days. You're
1: really cracking yourself up with that. Yeah. Do you have an actual question or not? Oh uh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, how likely do you think uh, that the US are going to actually win
1: this game? Oh, the game against Mexico. Uh, if you just want an on-the-spot estimate, I'd say my I put odds at, or at my percentage would be. Ten to fifteen percent US <laughs> victory.
0: You're you're a little pessimistic. I, I was gonna say maybe thirty five to forty percent chance that they win. I think that the the guardado injury is big, although yeah, but he's coming I have back I him. have seen that uh he may be coming back. Uh Rafa Marquez is out. Um a little less of a of an impact, but uh I think that Mexico would like to have him for that game if he's healthy. But uh at least, at least on the injury front, things have been going better for the U.S. You know, Fabian Johnson just came back and he's
1: going to be an important player for that game. Charlie, what do you put? What's your guess? What's your percentage?
2: You know, I, I, I'm more optimistic than you guys. I'd put it somewhere on a toss-up because this matchup just seems to favor the Americans, the Yanks. The, the, I thought that they were going to get their asses kicked at the Alamo Dome um, back in April when they played Mexico uh, because, you know, their trend lines weren't great at that point. And uh, and they kind of, you know, Jordan Morris, a college kid, led the way there. And, and Mexico, one, you know, once things turned against them early on, once they went behind, they just never looked like they were going to be able to overcome it. I mean, there is a, you know, maybe they're more fired up, you know, maybe they produce something extra that the U.S. cannot f- for a, a meaningful match, a trophy match rather than a friendly. But uh, there's just something about the matchup that really favors the U.S. And it's been like that for, for 15 year or so years now that, um, whether it's the physicality of the Americans, um, or, or, you know, something more psychological, I don't know what it is, but Mexico does not seem to perform to the fullest. E- even, you know, I think we have to go back to that, uh, gold cup game that, that was Bob Bradley's last game in charge, you know, at a sold out Rose bowl, you know, maybe that's the, uh, maybe that's the, the, the example that matters most here. Um, but I think the U S has, has got a, a more than a fighting chance.
1: Charlie uh, Charlie Boehm choosing to uh, completely forget about the Gold Cup, which happened about a month ago. So, uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, but they didn't play each other in the Gold Cup.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, but uh, I mean, how how yeah, can I as a U.S. US fan? Really how are you times, not but, a, as a US but, fan? How are you not tainted by that that performance? You know, well as a how, Mexi- that,
0: how as a Mexico fan, how are you not tainted by that performance? I mean, they were awful for pretty much the entire tournament.
1: They, were, I mean. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I mean, I understand they won. Yeah, like, they you know. they played a good game against Jamaica. That was their first good game of the tournament. And when you're in CONCACAF and you're Mexico, you can be consistently underwhelming. And thanks to your superior talent and some Mark Geiger magic, you can still get to the to the final of the tournament.
1: Let's uh, let's put a cap on this. Um, I guess somebody, I I asked who DC United's uh, ideal DP would be on Twitter. And among these answers is Joey Barton, which is pretty awesome. We've, uh, got, uh,
0: we've got a picture of uh, – Freddie
1: Adu, like Juan, Juan Verone. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
2: Uh, ben Joey think? Barton could be the Jonathan Papelbon, the next Jonathan Papelbon <laughs> of these <of DC laughs> sports. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> oh, Imagine God. him going for Chris, Chris Pontius' throat on oh the sidelines. I guess,
0: I, guess I guess DCU's Bryce Harper would have to be Bill Hamid. I mean that's pretty much the only
1: – Young person on the team – First of all, right. um, <laughs> yeah yeah uh, let's let 's put a cap on this d c stuff by very quickly discussing what can they actually do to fix this? Is there actually something they can do to fix this? I mean, if the argument is that they 're just essentially now being exposed for the team they 've actually been all year, there 's probably not much they can do to fix this. you know um, uh, y- You talk to the guys and they just say they speak in generalities like we need to get back to the kind of football. We were playing earlier in the year, but the kind of football they were playing in the year was again sort of squeaking these results out. I mean, what, what can actually be done?
2: And so, Pablo, I was going to say something else too here. Um, a, a, a point that was made um, towards the tail end of Jose Mourinho's first uh, stint at Chelsea, where um, he was known for winning ugly, right? And, and they they were terrible on the eyes sometimes, but there was no arguing with it because they always seemed to win everything. But then, once you stop winning, when you play in a nutritional style like that, and, and I, it gives me no pleasure to say how many people um, tell me that they that they just cannot bear to watch DC United most nights. Um, when that when the results go away in a results centric approach, you have nothing. You have no like what's the team's identity? Yeah. And if it doesn't work, you're just another sort of lunchbox basic team out there.
1: Right. I mean, if the argument right when they're winning ugly is winning is everything or they're winning games, shut up. Then when that's gone, you literally have no argument. So I
0: think I think what they need to do is is get some kind of consistent lineup in there. And I think that having a spindle back now is going to help. I think that I actually don't really know what our nose status is.
1: He's still not even practicing. So, OK, well, yeah.
0: scratch that. But at least they can have Halstie in there consistently next to kitchen. I think you just have to maintain some kind of continuity to the point where some of these guys are comfortable because I think that you know Chris Rolfe alluded to it, as as you mentioned earlier, that they've just been shuffling guys in and out through injuries and suspensions. They're not going to be able to add anyone. Uh, They're not going to be able to find some new magic formula to start winning games. So I think the best they can hope for is just get some consistency in the lineup and try to develop some of that chemistry that was there last year when they had some success, for example, between... A Spindola and Rolf, you know that's some of the best stuff that DC United has been able to play in the last few years is just when those two are clicking and running off each other so maybe they could uh get a little run with those guys and and, and Sabarillo finishing a couple off in the in the
2: box
1: yeah I mean I got nothing I think we just gonna have to wait and see what's uh, what's gonna happen let's let's move the other on thing, guys is um
2: I, I remember Olsen saying something about how Jeff uh, it was Farfan when Farfan I think hit a game winner at some point or you know ha- had a man of the match type performance a few weeks ago, and Ben talked about raved about him after the game. What you know what a difference maker he was. He's coming on strong. He's going to be huge for us down the stretch this year. Uh, and I he started one game in the last two months in the league. So uh, there's a little confusion here. I don't know Ben Olson is talking about changing things this week, but can is he capable of that?
1: Yeah, I mean it's, it's classic Ben. I I can reach all the way back to twenty twelve and I think of a game I covered in Toronto and it was a game where um uh, Hamdi Salehi scored uh you know a sort of scissor kick. To, to win the game, you know, sort of steal things. And after the game, Ben tells me he is our I think it was it was something along the lines of he is our best offensive player or he's our best most important like goal scorer. Best
0: finisher, best goal scorer. Yeah something, yeah, something like that. And then
1: promptly didn't play him basically for the next three games. Yeah. Right. So I, I never know what the hell's going on in that guy's head. So I don't know. I do,
0: I I mean it's it's been a few years, but I still think Hamdi got a little bit of a raw deal there.
1: Yeah, Hamdi, Bronco Boskovic, many, many I mean, players. At the, that... at
0: the end of the year, Hamdi Salihi got benched. And there's no shame in this, but he got benched for Long Tan
1: consistently. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Hamdi Salehi got benched for Long
0: Tan. <laughs> uh, speaking of Long Tan, we've had, of course, multiple people suggest to us on Twitter that he would be DC United's ideal DP. And
1: who are we, really, to argue with that? Somebody, one of our viewers, just writes, I'd bring a lot of friends to RFK to watch Jonathan Peppelbaum choke Leonard Pahoy. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, a little, that's a little cold. <laughs> um, anyways. He doesn't mean to death, right? <laughs> no, I hope not. I, just it's like, just... un, un, unspecified. Um, wow. Let's talk about Sebastian Jovinko. Let's move on a little bit. and I want to start this by saying that I'm looking at a photo of Sebastian Jovinko right now. Um, the man has some of the strangest tattoos I have ever seen in my life. Have you seen this guy's tattoos? The,
2: uh, I haven't looked closely at them. Got a very. I think he has like a men's, uh, like a men's and women's room type, like type image, like the the generic male female shapes.
1: Yeah, right here. Look at that. And then he's got what looks like a drunk pumpkin on his elbow, and some sort of surrealist hand mirror. On his inner bicep. You
0: know, I, mean, the- I get I get the idea that some people just decide, you know what, I want to have sleeves. Like, I think it looks cool to have sleeves. And then what the tattoos exactly are is less important than just covering your arms to achieve that look.
1: Right, yeah. As opposed to you, you've got that that full DC United sleeve. You know, the eagle and talon and all like, that stuff.
0: Everything on my arms means something.
1: <laughs> well, let's talk about whether Sebastian Jovinko... Uh, is the obvious MVP choice at this point? Yes. I don't know that there's a yeah exactly. <laughs> um, you know, uh, yes. You know, yeah, I, <laughs> well, I, let's I, let's move that conversation forward to whether he's having the best season in MLS history. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> really blowing through this one. I think Charles has to change a diaper or something like that.
0: <laughs> I, I, I would kind, kind of, of help r- you guys I would, out here. Yeah. yeah. No, I would, I, would, I would agree with Charlie, especially in the MVP. I think there was a case we made a few months ago for a fail but I think that's kind of gone by the wayside. Um,
1: Seth, by of, the way, thinks that Jovinka uh, was improperly credited with his 20th goal on Saturday. I do,
0: I do, because quite simply it touched Jonathan Osorio's head.
1: Did it, though? I, I don't know. Anyways. Um, yeah, I, I think Matt Doyle made the point that uh, he's uh, he's the uh, first player to score 20 goals, have 15 assists in a single season. Not only that, he's the first player to score 20 goals and have 10 assists in a season. So he's not just sort of, ca- you know, he's basically like casually breaking records, you know, like passing records at a jog, sort of, you know, so... I don't and know. It's,
2: you know, TFC are, are going to make the playoffs. It looks like, but they're they've been hardly been a dominant team. I mean, they they crap the bed still routinely. You know, There's kind of de- some, a dodgy defense behind him. Yeah, he, yeah. He, yeah I think the the defense isn't much better
0: than it has been in recent years when
2: it cost them playoff trips. Yeah. So he's he, it's it just to me it looks different than than the numbers. You know, Robbie Keane has put up gaudy stats for the Galaxy. And he's clearly a great player. He was fully deserving of the MVP last year. But Giovinco doesn't have that kind of supporting cast around him.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think obviously we're not going to get into this because it's just one of these incredibly stupid arguments that people have every year. But it, it does sort of go back to what you think an MVP means, whether it's the best player in the league or whether it's the most valuable player to your team. And actually, it's pretty easy this year because I honestly think Giovinco is both those things. And... I mean, I've been saying this since midseason, and I hate to sound, uh, you know, so effusive about the guy, but uh, I think it's pretty clear he's probably the best player ever to play in the league. I mean, do you, do you guys disagree with that?
2: I mean, at the pace drug was at, he'll he'll um, be in that conversation soon enough. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's he's Giovinco's great because he's statistically dominant, and he he passes the eye test as well. You look at him, and it seems like the teams that have had success in defending him are basically kicking him and um you know, trying to physically um force him out of the game or out of his, his zone.
1: And he's doing this like he's the size of Connor Late. Right. Like you know. <laughs> uh it, anyways. It does yeah.
0: it does make what he's doing a little more remarkable. But I mean this the sheer physical issue he has with other players.
1: Yeah. Uh a quick question from Kevin Brown. At Friendly Foe from uh, Soccer Gods. Wants to know what his chances are at Swipe Right Night at DC United, or at uh, RFK, which is this Friday. Seth, are you aware of this uh, promotion?
0: I, I heard DC United is doing a Tinder night. I don't know exactly what that entails. So here's what it
1: involves. There's actually, I, I just thought it was a gimmicky thing. Apparently there's a uh, an entire, they have an open bar for an hour and a half before the game. And a, setting up a photo booth. And all this stuff actually sounds kind of. Fun. It sounds mm-hmm. a lot more fun than covering a DC United.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say, can we go to that? Yeah. Do yeah. I have to join Tinder?
1: What, what, do, what do you? What do you? What do you make of? What do you make of this promotion? What do you make of a team like DC United having a Tinder night? I like it. I like it. They're, they're trying new shirt, new shit. I don't know. I mean, people they, people shit on them all the time for for not marketing, you know. And then it's sort of depressing to watch because they try something like this and they're like, oh my god, this is so stupid. It's a Tinder night, like, what, what do people want to want them to do? Just put out advertisements that say, "We play soccer, come see soccer." <laughs> you know, like, this shit doesn't work. Our, I mean, our best player is the goalkeeper.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think don't. it's awesome, next level. And as a as a as someone who's married with a kid, I think everyone should exploit this to the fullest. Yeah, ex- I mean, yeah. who hasn't wanted to get intimate with uh, someone new at RFK Stadium? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean you're 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 already at a place where you might catch a disease. Anyways, <laughs> you might as well as ratchet up those stakes, and if, you know, if, double I mean, down. And if you urban if,
2: exploration, am I right, Pablo?
1: Yeah, like I got tetanus and herpes in the same night. <laughs> Swipe right night at RFK. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, there goes my credential. So, uh,
2: are they going to do a
0: grinder night, a different night, or can they just <laughs> cross promote that That's with a, a great Tinder question. night?
1: <laughs> well, they already have United oh, Night Out, right? So they should just go ahead and and uh, maybe
2: that 's like the unofficial grinder night
1: yeah i don't
2: based uh, on the feedback I get from friends, uh, I think grinder is definitely a lot hotter hotter scene, probably probably hit cooler kids are involved in that one
1: right, right, so. right um, um,
2: just to go back to our uh, previous discussion for a second because
0: Holden crib tweet us a picture of uh, Akin Fenwa I don't remember his uh, first name but he's the uh, rather large striker who plays in England uh
1: rather large
0: I forget which I forget which team he plays for It's um, like a semi truck I remember he actually last year I think they were playing Liverpool or some big team in in the FA Cup and he had a great game and he scored a goal and he's just so fun to watch because he he's like I don't know maybe 6-1 or 6-2 probably like at least two seventy-five. Like he is
1: huge, and He's, you're gonna you're gonna really laugh at this. He's listed as 5'11, 190.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, like
1: place for AFC Wimbledon. In case you're wondering.
0: Yeah. Okay. And and then I remember after that game there was like a little bit of chatter about him actually going to MLS. I would love to see him play for someone in MLS.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: Well, let's poor, move on. Poor man's
1: dragba, yeah. Poor, <laughs> hung, hungry man's dragba. Palmless <laughs> man's dragba. Whoa. Uh, anyway, um, let's talk about a couple. Uh, we got a few more things on the doggy here in the next 15 minutes. Um, let's talk about the galaxy. Uh, my, my, and I feel like the media in general's opinion of his team oscillates wildly every week. From, uh, you know, pack your bags for LA. We're going to StubHub again for. MLS Cup to you know this team is horrible and they can't win on the road Uh, what what do you you make of LA I guess going into these last three games either of you (laughs) I mean
0: their ceiling is still higher than any team in the league and they have the best coach and they have the best players I mean sometimes it's as simple as that although although I'm I'm a little concerned uh, with the defense I, I think that in a lot of ways, Aj Del Garza is their best defender, not Omar Gonzalez, even though Omar's dominant in the air. And I think you saw again against FC Dallas that Dom and Ricketts can be a bit of a liability.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a soft underbelly to that team for sure. Uh, Leonardo has improved, but it seems to have corresponded with um, stagnation at at best from from Gonzalez, um, and um, and Ricketts is. Um, uh, to me, it's amazing that he's. It makes sense, I guess, to go after him because he's familiar with the team and the system, having been there before. But um, he he doesn't catch. He does not. He's not uh, really great at catching the soccer ball cleanly. That's which is issue. important to me if you're going to be an elite team. Uh, but the other thing is, you don't actually. And the home the, the home away discrepancy is significant. But you don't actually have to win on the road to win MLS Cup. You, you can ju- you can actually lose if you don't lose badly. Since they seem to be able to pin three to five goals on every team in the league on a good night at home. So yeah. how about you, Pablo? Uh
1: I I have no thoughts. Uh I'm kind of secretly pulling for them to make the final just so I can selfishly take a trip to uh to LA, you know, when it's
2: SoCal's, So-cal's great in December. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely
1: true. I've heard a lot of media members whining about possibly Having to go out there again, you know, and I, I have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, I think they're forgetting what we went through in Kansas City in in twenty thirteen. So, you know,
0: variety's a spice of life, Pablo.
1: Oh uh, yeah, whatever you say. <laughs> Keep drinking your Takate. <laughs> um.
2: Anyway, it's going to be funny when they actually do the it, MLS Cup, but the Red Bulls have a better record, so they have to play New York.
1: I would. I would love. I would love a New York MLS Cup. I don't know. That one sounds pretty yeah, but good. but you
2: know it's going to snow.
1: That's so true. It'll be like uh, some kind of... Yeah, in Yankee play. Stadium, it's going to be, you know, like a really weird venue to have. In it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So um, let's move on. Let's talk about the Open Cup final. Um, let's wrap this up with the Open Cup and the NWSL final, which you're actually leaving for tomorrow. Um, the Open Cup, uh, obviously, in Kansas City, going to be played in Philly. Philly obviously lost... To Seattle last year, Philly's obviously choking and falling out of the playoff picture, as they do every time around this year. Um, Charlie, what do you think this game means to Philly? I, I, I sort of feel like Jim Curtin has taken a similar approach to what Ben did, Ben Olson did in 2013, where he sort of really preached the importance of, uh, you know, bringing home this piece of silverware, you know, and obviously, you know, would help sort of, heal the wounds of another disappointing season.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the uh, Philly beat guys, Dave Zeitlin, did a great piece uh, earlier this week about, about that. And uh, interesting quote from, um, from Curt. And he said something to the effect of a trophy um, reinforces, invalidates your approach to things. So they've got a plan. They've have a long-term vision of how they're going to get the team to, to be consistently competitive in the league. And a trophy lets you know you're on the right track, and I think there's there's some historical precedents for that. Uh, certainly, um, you know KC is trying to sort of consolidate their um, consistency and their place in the league's elite, um, and Philly Philly sees that and would like to. You know, in a sense, I think they've they've used KC as a model for what they want to do. Um, I'm probably again more bullish than than you guys might be on Philly because uh, even though the senior team has become a, a little bit of a punchline in terms of um, struggle and and uh, bad luck and bad decision making in the league, I just spent got to spend some time with their academy and learn a little bit about how they do things there, and I came away really very impressed, um, convinced actually that that in the long term Philly's going to be uh, as close to a model club as as we're going to find in MLS in terms of. Growing their own talent, uh, building and not buying, it may still take a few years yet. And they they talked about it as a ten to fifteen year plan. But if they really commit to that approach and or you know bringing up homegrown's, um, continuing to, to buy players and and acquire players who have certain characteristics, sort of a Philly mentality, that blue collar mentality, um, I think sooner sooner than later they're going to get there. And a, and a trophy this week would really. Provide them with a, a boost in that direction.
1: 15 years. Uh, MLS will have a team, and I can't wait to see how Philly's Academy kids do against fcse Crested Buttes. Uh, you know, 2034. <laughs> yeah. United. yeah.
2: Spartak Crested, <laughs> well, Crested you know, the, Butte.
1: Shakhtar Crested Butte.
2: The Academy director in Philly is a guy named Tommy Wilson, who came over from Rangers, um, former pro, um, you know, Scotsman, and very much in the sort of Alex Ferguson mold. Um, from, from a part of Western Scotland that's sort of a coach's cradle. And he, he did say, I asked him about that sort of disconnect between the senior team and the, and the academy. And uh, he said, you know, you, you fans are right to, to want, they want w- wins now. You know, they don't want to hear about your five-year plan or your long-term plan because they could be dead in five years, you know. And, uh, and I think there's definitely truth to that. It is Chester. But given, given, given how, how sort of what a local identity Philly has, um, I think if they really do start bringing in kids that, that are from around the way, that can crystallize their fan base in a way that's, that is that m- is maybe more so than, than D.C. Or, or even L.A. or places like that. It, if Philly goes homegrown and really invests in it and does like what FC Dallas has done, I think that's going to connect with their fans who are um, sort of tribal almost in their, their sense of identity.
1: Uh, let's go to the phones for uh, one last call here. All right, 919, you're an open wife for some soccer. How can we help you? Oh, I just dropped. Anyways.
0: Well, I was going to say about this uh, Open Cup final is that it really reminds me of last year's Open Cup final. Um, a lot of that is because Philadelphia is the host again. But it's just a tale of two teams. Philadelphia last year played Seattle, and Philly needed to win that game way more than Seattle did. Seattle had already won a few Open Cups, and Philly just needed something to salvage. Another lost season in MLS, and here we are again. Sporting Kansas City at Philadelphia. Sporting Kansas City has already won an Open Cup a couple times, and they're an established power in the league. And Philly again, just needing something to salvage uh, this season, which again looks to be a, a lost season in MLS.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think I don't. It shouldn't get lost that Philadelphia Union fans, well, supporters, I should say, Philadelphia Union supporters, just a couple of months ago, we were literally carrying a cardboard coffin with a photo of Nick Sakevich in it, you know, outside of a game. And I think, you know, obviously, I think uh, if they lose this game, you know, you're facing a an offseason full of the same questions, whether, you know, Sugarman and Sakevich have any idea what they're doing and what their long-term goals are. I think if you win the game, I think it buys them at least a little bit of time to figure out what to do. I mean, you have... They have a lot of there are a lot of questions there. You know, uh, they have a couple players on loan. You know, Ariza and you know I, I can't remember who else on loan. And obviously, they're going to have to sort of make some moves, but they'll at least be able to do so without sort of the fan base threatening to burn the place down again.
0: Yeah. At the, at the same time, though, I mean, how much credence do you want to put on the result of, of one game? I think even if they well, even if they win tomorrow night. Like, look at the way that they have performed in the league over the last couple of years. I mean, it's been atrocious. It's not like they win tomorrow night and I mean, all of a sudden mu- how they're— I much, mean,
1: how much credence do I want to put in it, or how much credence will the will their fans put it in it? Because, to be honest with you, if you talk to DC United fans about 2013, you get a lot of groans and stuff. But without fail, you'll have a bunch of people say, "Well, we won a trophy that year.
0: No, I think I think that it would definitely be— great for them to win, and it would make this year a little more of, an ex- uh, more of a success. But I just don't think that it validates that the franchise is heading in the right direction or they have some kind of a plan that's going to take them where they want to go in the league and beyond.
1: I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. We'll have to see what happens when they lose. So <laughs>
2: You got you got you to aim for something, you know? Um, <laughs> let's, something. Yeah. Like let's, What is that Alexi Lala says? even if it's a bad plan it's better than no plan true
1: yeah set <laughs> pieces um let's wrap us up just by talking a little bit about the nwsl final um and i'm not going to completely recuse myself but i'm going to own up to not having watched a ton of women's soccer this year um obviously uh fc kansas city are <clears throat> taking on seattle and uh, sort of maybe to rub some salt uh you know in the portland thorns is uh wounds they're uh, they're doing it in portland which I, I i highly doubt anybody in portland uh you know is, is a fan of and um all the ticket sales have been pretty swift right out here twelve thirteen thousand have been sold for the game um what wh- what are you looking for i guess uh charlie you know this matchup
2: well, I mean, it's. I'm curious to, to hear from you guys and and maybe your listeners. Um, I, I do wonder um, if this game has any buzz. I mean, this game was, was actually moved, um, and and there's some major people on the in the scene, and you know, women's soccer journalists who aren't going to be there because they actually changed this, the date of this by God, like two weeks or so, I guess, um, when they signed their TV contract with Fox in order to get the game uh, in a better placement and then they moved it from a, a weekend to a Thursday night. Um, you know, I, I think they're in a situation or where MLS was as a league a few years ago where um, desperate for relevance, desperate for a national footprint and some identity and, and, and t- some TV following, but really struggling to get it and, and struggling to, to gain purchase and figure out, um, you know, how to get short-term success uh, in, in a really ton, a tough environment for, for women's sports. And I know, um, I, I think, t, you know, fans should tune in. This game is going to be easy to watch, relatively speaking. It's on uh, FS1, I think, at 9.30 Eastern. Um, and this is, this is a game, in terms of if we just take all the other noise out, this is a game of two really, really good teams, really good players, um, really good clubs that have been the class of the league in every way, really, since they came in. Um, and so I think the quality will be there you know is anybody gonna gonna take notice of it though on on any kind of meaningful widespread level um it's a it's a tough situation for n w s l you know they've got some of the some of soccer's most marketable personalities uh, scattered throughout the league because of the women's national team and yet they've just really struggled to to transmit that into something meaningful on a club level
0: yeah and i was I was wondering what you made of the decision to change the location of the final to a neutral site to Portland uh, like two months or whatever it was before the game took place, kind of out of nowhere. I mean, what what was the league's thinking behind that and what was the <laughs> reaction
2: to that? Yeah, it was really bizarre and it was, it was a sad example, or sort of s- s- kind of showed how limited their resources are because basically NWSL is a department within U.S. soccer. They've hired a couple of full-time people to focus on it. Um, they're trying to help these individual clubs. Uh, you know, they're paying the the star players that are on the national team, as are the Canadian and, and Mexican. international, you know getting paid by their federation to play in the league. Uh, but it became you know I was kind of shocked to learn um, what was going on that that the you know the were the rumors were floating around, and I got conf- confirmation from really good sources that this was happening, that they were changing their competition format basically in season. And the answer eventually, the best answer they had was well, we already decided to more or less do this in uh, way back before the season started. We just haven't crossed all the T's and dot I's, so we haven't announced it yet. And this was like two months before the date in question. So not only had they changed the date of the final for TV concerns, then they're changing from a highest seed host to a neutral site format um, and you know didn't really get around. I mean, I, we broke the story on Soccer Wire and they didn't get around to announcing it for a couple more days after that. And it was sort of like, you know who's who's going to step up and grab the ball here. There's always someone, you know, at, whether it's MLS or US Soccer. There's someone in charge who goes, "Oh shit, we've got a situation here. Let's explain ourselves. Let's 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 cope with this sort of crisis management." And there was just nothing with with NWSL. It was really basically Merritt Paulson was the only person with any kind of official status. He's on Twitter trying to explain it to people. Uh, you know, and it just it, I felt bad for him because he's getting getting hammered left and right. When really it's just a, a failure to to just be thorough in, in basic stuff like this, and um, but again, there's basically three people handling everything in terms of coordinating everything in this league, and uh, and so it's a, it's a tough spot, you know. And and they've done everything in in, in a cost cutting way to, to make things sustainable financially for their owners, but at some point you have to to uh, you know leverage yourself a little bit to get thing to get it out there and take some risks, as we see with MLS, right? The DP experiment. Has definitely paid off. They took some risks, and they've been they've been rewarded for it. And NWSL seems to be stuck in a position where they really can't take risks. Uh, they haven't even brought in a, a you know new, any new national sponsors since the the uh, national team became America's Sweethearts this summer at the Women's World Cup. So you know, do they just sort of limp along like this? Does someone come along to grab the lead and and lead something somewhere? It's 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 really a tough spot because. Again, just looking at what's on the field, the quality is the best in the world. It's the best league in the world. The people who play it and coach it and have compared it to other leagues you know, over in Europe, they'll tell you that instantly, but uh, it's not necessarily getting the, the, the response that it deserves on that level.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's definitely an interesting situation for sure. Uh, we are going to wrap things up. Charlie, we appreciate you being Thomas for this week. Uh, we really couldn't have done it without you.
1: Yeah, I think your audition actually went great uh we'd like to offer you the job on a full-time basis
2: oh that sounds great guys thank you so much <laughs> do i get thomas's house or anything like that like do what do i inherit all uh, that is his is
1: now yours he has which is like i think six or seven university of maryland soccer scarves and cool, cool. Uh, he has a foosball table
2: oh yeah. yeah oh i yeah. got that for sure
0: that's great. all that's that's all you and uh Thomas, we hope you're listening uh, because this is the only way you're going to find out. So, all right, thanks. Thomas, for-
2: I'm sorry, but it was just this is kind of how the business goes. Yeah. It's it's it's
0: cutthroat. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you guys next week.